0: You're a good-looking bunch this morning, i got to tell you. Come on. I mean, when the truth is being declared, you got to walk in alignment, right? Amen? Come on. Thank you, Jesus. I want you just this morning to just kind of hold your hands out like this, because I believe God wants to drop something into your spirit today, supernaturally. If He hasn't done it already, He wants to do it today. So, Father, we, we hold our hands out like this as a gesture, as a symbol of the posture of our heart today. And Father, we're asking you by Holy Spirit to drop, to deposit something into us today. Father, to stir something in our spirit today. Father, to, to Lord, work something in us today. That Father, uh, that you would massage it into our heart, that Lord, would be life-altering, that would shift the course of our life and of our heart. Father, we take a hold of that today in Jesus' name. We receive it. Now take your hands and just kind of pull them in to your body. You receive it today in Jesus' name. We receive it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And Father, we ask in this place that Holy Spirit, you would do the work. Lord, we're not looking for something that we can do in our own strength. We're looking for something beyond our strength. We're looking for something supernatural, not natural, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, Amen. Amen, man. You are, like I said, a good-looking bunch, and so I'm going to let you get seated there. I'm going to let you sit down. Hallelujah. Praise God. Um, Before I I, I get into the Word this morning, we've had these cards at the back. These are our pledge cards for our Kingdom Builders uh, commitment this year. If you haven't taken one of these, filled one out, we encourage you to do so. This is a faith... Statement: uh, When I first heard about kingdom builders from a pastor in, uh, named uh, Ketterling uh, what's his first name? Rob Ketterling. in, in Minnesota, uh, His church started uh, this campaign, and now their church raises uh, through kingdom builders, and beca- for, for growth of the kingdom, for missions, uh, they've become the largest missions-giving church in America, 10 million dollars a year. Uh, they bring in through Kingdom Builders. So this isn't the regular giving in, this chur- in their church. This is $10 million. And, and how this come about is, is that they, they ask people to make three pledges. They, they ask people to make the one, fill up the card, say, this is what I'm believing God that just with stretching I can do this year. Then they ask him to set a faith goal, that, that something that if God dropped an extra gift, if dro- God did something supernatural, you write that one down in your journal. So this is, it's not the one you fill in the card, you just write it down in the journal. He said, but then he encourages people to write in their journal their life goal. Like, you know, he's had a number of people said, Lord, at some point in my life I want to be able to give a million dollars to the kingdom. And literally, he's had people who've sold businesses that have retired, when, or whatever stage they've been, something happened in their business community or whatever, and they've been able to come in and, and literally drop a million dollars into, the, into Kingdom Builders, and they've been able to build schools in Africa. They've been able to do all kinds of things. It's been absolutely supernatural. And so we're asking you to do the same thing. Set a goal for this year for Kingdom Builders that you say, with some stretching, with some, some believing, I can do this. But then to get out your journal and say, God... If, if you just dropped something really special in my life, I'd like to be able to do this this year. But then, Lord, my life goal. Have a life goal that you can pray into. So, Lord, my, my faith maybe not for a million dollars, but something that, you know, I really think at some point in my life, I'd love to be able to drop $100,000 into the kingdom. I'd love to be able to drop $50,000. Put down a life goal, say, God, this is what, I'm, and pray over that thing every year and ask God to bring that to pass. So we encourage you to do that. And, and you know, the kingdom of God is built by a f- a people who are faithful and faithful, In other words, full of faith, amen? And that's how we do it. So the good news is, well, the bad news, I'll start with the bad news. We've only had four pledge cards turned in yet so far. We have four, all right? This is the fourth one right here holding my hand. But the good news is that between four cards, we have 18,320 already pledged, amen? In four. Everybody saying four. In four. 18,320 in four. So where can we go? With 100, okay? So uh, we encourage you to fill that out. I believe that we can, and many people have talked and said, yes, I'm going to be doing it, Pastor, because I'm super naturally stoked about rid- eliminating the mortgage this year, getting that done, so that we can be used by the Lord to do so many more things in the future and not paying any interest at all. Amen? And uh, we've been a unique house. We've taken on this uh, church uh, and bought the property. And then we've paid cash for all the renovations that we have done. So the only thing we owe is the mortgage, and we would love to have that thing gone, wouldn't you? Amen? So partner with us, grab a card on the way out, fill that out, talk to your, your partner, your spouse, let them say, what is our goal t- going to be this year? Uh, and, and fill that out, and then uh, bring it in, and, uh, and then let God do the work. Amen? Praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, everybody that was here last night, who laid hands on me and prayed over me, thank you so much, and, uh, and got to see, we had a whiteboard up here, we had every song that we was going to be saying this morning on the list, all the people that were in the worship team on the list, all the people running cameras and all that kind of stuff up there, and me, and what I was going to be talking about this morning. And this morning, uh, the, the message is, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. You know, I know we talk about prayer a lot. We we assume, I think, we assume that people know how to pray. We assume that people know how to get a hold of God. We assume that people know what it is to commune with God. And, and a lot of times people don't. A lot of times people are, are, are really shy. I know a lot of couples say, I don't know how to pray with my spouse. I don't know how to pray with my children. I don't know how to to, to stand in faith. And so uh, the disciples had the same question. They went to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. If you turn in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, it says, now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So today we're going to make that same petition of Jesus that the disciples did. The petition of Lord, teach us to pray. And so over the next number of weeks, I'm literally going to spend time teaching very practically how we pray and then as we did today we're going to have more and more times of implementing prayer here so that you can practice prayer so that you can see how prayer is, is done you can have it modeled before you and you can go back and you can pray and you can ha- touch heaven as well amen, amen. praise lord um, so why did the first question i came to when I, I looked at this passage is why did the disciples ask jesus to teach them to pray Like, where did the question come from? You know, Uh, and and, and as I began to think about it, meditated on the scripture and look at the Lord's prayer, both in Luke and in Matthew chapter six, uh, I found some interesting answers as to why I believe the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray. Well, I think the first reason is because they asked Jesus to teach them to pray because when they watched Jesus pray, they did not see Jesus pray the way they had, had prayer modeled to them their whole life, right? Uh, If you think about it, in the day and age in which Jesus lived, some of Jesus' most scathing commentary was reserved for religious leaders and the way they prayed, right? If you go look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, this is what you read. It says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. That's their reward. They got saw. They got saw by somebody else. But you, when you pray, go in your room. And when you've shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. Everybody say the secret place. We need to learn the power of going to the secret place instead of a secret place. Right? Sin is done in a secret place. But prayer is done at the secret place, amen? Where we go to that place where we're in the presence of the Lord and we're in the secret place with him and we pray. We need to know the difference between those two, amen? So he said, when you're in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do for they think that they will be heard by their many words. Therefore, do not be like them for your father knows the things you have need of before you even ask. This is the kind of prayer the disciples, the kind that Jesus was rebuking, that's what they had witnessed their whole life. They had been raised, uh, for the most part, good Jewish boys, right? And they had been raised and observed this type of religious prayer their whole life. And you have to understand, between the book of Malachi, right? Between the book of Malachi, at the end of the Old Testament... And the book of Matthew, at the beginning of the New Testament, there's 400 years of history in there. 400 years where where the scripture is silent. And in that 400 year vacuum, where there was no prophetic voice, there was nothing until Jesus came, in that 400 year vacuum, you know, there there is religious uh, things that broke up and, and religious traditions that cropped up that didn't exist in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you had priests and prophets, right? In the New Testament... When Jesus came, you had Sadducees, Pharisees, and Essenes. You had these three types of religious leaders that had grown up in the vacuum that were burdening people with religion rather than with relationship with God, rather than a true voice of a prophet or the intercession of a priest. You understand what I'm saying today? And so what the disciples grew up in is an extremely steeped religious world. And looking at the way that the prayer they'd seen modeled their whole life, they knew that wasn't what Jesus did. When they saw Jesus pray, they saw him go away and get a hold of his father and talk to him. And they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Second reason that Jesus asked, I mean, the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray is because they'd witnessed John the Baptist, when he had his following, teach his disciples to pray. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how John taught them to pray. We don't really have any insight into that. But it, it was so different from what they saw modeled by all the other religious leaders. That they, and they saw what Jesus did was being different. They said, then, Lord, would you just take us away and teach us the same way? Same way, Lord, that you, uh, John taught his disciples? Would you do that for us? They wanted to learn from their master. They wanted to learn how to pray. Amen? Praise the Lord. Now, the final reason, and I think the most significant reason that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray at this time jumped out at me from the Scriptures this week, and I'd never really noticed it before. Never really noticed this before. And, and it's, the, the answer is in the context. How many know it's really good to read the Scripture in context? How many also know that when the Scriptures were originally penned, there were no chapters? Right? So somebody came along... And if you want to know, the, the, the chaptering uh, and versing of the scriptures is not inspired. All right? I don't want to offend anybody, but the fact that this is chapter 11 is immaterial. The, the chaptering was not inspired. It's just a way to help us find something in the Bible, right? That's why it's there. So just so you understand that. It flowed as one continuous novel or script, uh, whatever, whichever book or letter it was. And so when you read something in the Bible, it's important to read. The context, what comes before it, what comes after it. Read the context. So here's the thing, you have, you know, uh, Luke chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, the disciples coming to Jesus and saying, Lord, teach us to pray. And then you say, well, why did they ask him then? Well, look what happened at the end of chapter 10, might give you, just might contain some insight into why the disciples at this time said, Jesus, teach us to pray. And I have preached from the end of chapter 10 numerous times before. It's the story of Mary and Martha. I mean, literally, literally right before is the story of Mary and Martha. And you know that passage where where Jesus is there with the disciples and Martha's just busy working and laboring and doing all kinds of things, prepping lunch for Jesus and the disciples. But Mary's just sitting at the feet of Jesus, just Hanging off of every word that Jesus speaks. Just yearning to be close to him. To be in his presence. To literally anything that he says, she wants to just take it in. And Remember, Martha goes to Jesus and she says, Jesus, tell my sister to get up and help me. Because I'm, 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 I'm needing some help here. Right? And remember, Jesus' answer. Verse 42. 41 and 42. He says, and remember, I told you this just a few weeks ago. Whenever Jesus says your name twice, pay attention, right? And, and he looks at her and he says, Martha, Martha. Martha, Martha. If he says to you, Kevin, Kevin. If he says to you, you know, Sherry, Sherry, then you, you better listen because he's got, he's got a, a wowie for you, right? So he says, Martha, Martha. He says, you're worried about and you're troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. Everybody say one thing. One thing, one thing is needed. One thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part and it will not be taken from her <laughs> Martha Martha This is literally what precedes precedes Luke chapter 1 so imagine the disciples, they're, they're there with Jesus, you know, they, they, they get to travel with him, they get to hear him, but they see Mary just sitting there, you know, listening. And, and most scholars believe Mary, same Mary that wiped Jesus' hair with her feet and worshiped him by pouring out her wages upon his feet. Mary, who is intent on just being in the presence of the Lord. And so they see Mary doing this and then Martha doing her thing. And then Jesus gently rebuking Martha and saying, you know, one thing is needed needed. And Mary's chosen the one thing, the one thing. Is it any surprise that the very next verse they get together with Jesus and Jesus goes away and he prays again and he comes back and they say, Jesus, teach us to pray. Jesus, teach us why what Mary did was the thing that's needed. Teach us to understand why that's what's important. Teach us to understand how we can have that kind of connection with you that you said is what's needed. You said is the better thing. You said it won't be taken away from her. Help me to know how to do that, Lord. That's what they were asking. That's why they were asking. Isn't that beautiful? Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us. To have the heart of Mary. To Lord, where we want to just be in your presence. We just, we just want to sit at your feet. We want to hear from you. We want you to speak and download into us. And we want to be in a position and a place where we know that when we bring whatever's in our heart to you, that you hear us. That's it right there. That's why they said, Lord, teach us to pray. The disciples wanted to know a life of prayer it was greater than what they had learned and seen in the Pharisees. They wanted Jesus to be their teacher, just like John taught his disciples. And they wanted to be able to, to have that same understanding of what's really needed. That they, they worked with Jesus, they, they traveled with Jesus, but what was really needed was to spend time in the presence of Jesus and in, of the Father in prayer. Amen? Wow. All right. So here we are as a church family today, facing a world that, for all intents and purposes, probably is just as antagonistic to the gospel as it was in Jesus' day. Anytime you think that this is the worst time in history, mm -mm. go back and read the Bible. Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. Way darker when Jesus was born, way darker. I hear people complaining every day about, you know, the way governments have handled COVID and all that kind of stuff, and government overreach and all that kind of stuff. You want to know government overreach? That's when he can say, hey, kill every male child that's two years and under, and they go out and do it. And they do it. How many know that's some serious government overreach right there? Right? You want government overreach? You ain't seen nothing yet compared what we saw in the scripture. It was into that world of darkness that Jesus came and breathed the kingdom. Do you hear me? That's the world that he came into. So when we get feeling that it's, it's dark, you know, remember it's been darker, but that doesn't mean that it isn't, isn't dark today and that we don't uh, need a visitation of the Lord. And uh, I read a description of our world recently. And it was summed up by a guy named Andrew Sullivan. He did it in the foreword of a book called Stolen Focus by uh, Johan Hari. I have no idea who that guy is. But I found this guy's quote, and I was like, wow. Listen to what he said. This is him describing our world today. He said, create a throwaway consumeristic civilization, break families into ever smaller units, add a tech revolution, online addiction, Economic precariousness, breakneck social change, endless work, and the collapse of religion and meaning—and yes, people will go a bit nuts. They'll become depressed. They'll seek out escapes through opiates and meth. They'll dis- disappear down rabbit holes of online fanaticism. They'll seek meaning through work or fame. They'll teach each uh, tear each other down with glee. They'll lose the skills for family, friendship, constancy. Constancy, discipline, and love. Wow. Uh, man, I think he, he, he's described where, especially where we've been in the last 22 months, I mean, wow. Uh, you know, some of the things that I, I, I see people post online, I'm like, what? Are you out of your mind? Have you, you know, lost all sense of, of reason? Like, come on. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's an accurate summary of the the malaise that has taken a hold of our culture today. But there's a cure. Turn a person beside and say, there's a cure. There's a cure. There is a cure. cure. And it is the, the advancement of the kingdom of God. And how does the kingdom of God advance? It advances on the foundation and the wings of prayer. Prayer. Prayer will change our world. Prayer will change our world. Somebody say it with me. Prayer will change my world. Say it again. Prayer will change my world. Remember last week what I told you, uh, what Young Yi Cho taught. He said, I pray and I obey. Prayer will change the world. So what was Jesus' answer? So the disciples had a question. What was the answer? Now we know why the disciples asked the question. So what was Jesus' answer? Well, verse 2, after the disciples asked the question, it says, so he said to them, when you pray, say. When you pray, what? Say. 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 So there's people who, who say, oh, I only pray in my head. No, no, there's, there's something important about making a declaration with your mouth. Right? About uttering something into the atmosphere so that when you speak it and declare it, your own faith is stirred. The enemy is given notice and God is being praised and uplifted. Yes. See, we are, we are to declare with our mouth. Yes. We're to declare with our mouth the things of God. Right? When the disciples came out of the upper room, right? Everybody, it says everybody heard them speaking in their own language. And what were they doing? They heard them. They heard them declaring the things of God. Right? And so there's something to be said for us speaking out loud. So you know, there's times when I'll be quiet before the Lord. I'll have worship music on or whatever. I'm just being quiet so that he can speak to my spirit. But there's also times i got to take a hold of things and I have to take authority and I'm going to speak and I'm going to declare. So he said to them, when you pray, say, all right? And then he says these words, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, this day, everybody say this day, this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins or our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass or sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And if you read it in Matthew, there's one more line in there, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. Now from those of you, from my generation, those of you who are in your 50s, you'll probably remember this prayer really well because you recited it every day at the beginning of your day in school. Right? Yeah. How many, how many, how many, you recited the Lord's Prayer when in your school? Right, so it's been like maybe, you know, 35, 40 years that that's been pulled, maybe 30 years from school, depending on where you are, what district you're from. But uh, it used to be not that long ago. I mean, it's been longer since the Leafs won the Stanley Cup. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Than when prayer was removed, uh, Lord's Prayer was removed from the school. So, you know, and uh, what can I say, right? Praise the Lord. Uh, and as much as I'd like win, the least to win the cup, I'd, I'd, I'd rather see the Lord's Prayer restored to school first. But, but, but uh, <laughs> hallelujah. Uh, praise the Lord. But anyway, now for me, uh, how many here were raised Catholic? Anybody raised Catholic? So, as somebody raised Catholic, that last line, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever, I never even heard that, because in the Catholic Church, you only recited the Luke version. You never recited the Matthew version. And, uh, and I'm not sure why, you know, Matthew records something that Luke doesn't. I don't know, uh, uh, but it's there. And, but the rest of them prayers are virtually identical. And, uh, and so, you know, um, uh, as a Catholic, we never added that part. I don't, I don't know why that is. I don't, can't say that I spent any extensive time studying that reason. But, uh, you know, I now, I now recite the, the Matthew version when I say it, because when I get to the end, I do want to say, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 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 I, I like that declaration. Hallelujah. Now, there's been a lot of arguments in theological circles over the years of whether Jesus actually meant for you to recite these words or whether he was giving you a model for prayer. And I've heard arguments both ways. I don't think there's anything wrong with reciting the words. I think God honors anything that comes from our heart, right? But how many know that you can get into a habit where you just say the same thing and it's not really from the heart? And if again, if you come from a Catholic background, you'll remember, you know, we used to go into the confessional booth and I'd kneel down and I would, I would tell the priest, you know, the things that I'd done wrong since my last confession, whether it be a week uh, usually I had to go quite frequently because I was quite bad. Uh, so, you know, but however time, you know, my time was in there and you'd say, you know, yeah, I'd say, you know, uh, forgive me, Father, for I've sinned. that has been X number of uh, days, weeks or months since my last confession. And then I'd say, these are all my sins. And then I'd lay them out there. I just, you know, kind of embarrassing thing. Sometimes I, I still kept to myself, uh, but um, wasn't quite sure that he wouldn't, you know, have have tea with somebody and, and and maybe say you know that altar boy of mine Kevin whoa does that kid need help but anyway uh, anyway so I I would confess those sins and then he would he would pre, uh, preside over me or give to me an absolution for my sin and then as an act of penance uh, he would tell me to go and to recite a certain number of prayers now if you look back in the history of the Catholic Church some of the acts of penance were were off the scale but today. They typically just ask you to go and say, you know, so many Our Fathers, so many Hail Marys or whatever. Um, but it used to be years ago, I mean, it wouldn't be anything back, you know, uh, 7,500 years ago to see people in, in you know, uh, Quebec City, for example, or in Montreal at one of the large Catholic churches like Saint-Anne de Beaupere, uh to see people on kneeling on the steps. That, and there's dozens and dozens of, of these outside concrete stairs or stone stairs going up the church, and kneeling and saying the rosary on every one of them as acts of penance that they've been ordered to do in order to have absolution for their sins. Aren't you glad that no priest can forgive my sins, only Jesus can? Amen? Amen. Aren't you glad? Um, and that I don't have to do penance. Penance is, there's no in scripture that it tells you that after Jesus has forgiven you that you need to go work it off somehow, Right? But we used to have to say these prayers, and one of the prayers we'd often be given was our Father. And you'd recite it like ten times, and then Hail Mary ten times, and, and then all of a sudden you've done your penance. And so prayer was t- taken from something where I'm communing with God, and it's, and it's been transformed into something that I recite so that I can work off my, or earn my forgiveness. How completely contrary to the message of the gospel is that? The Bible says that, you know, your works of righteousness before God are like filthy rags. The Bible says that my righteousness comes from Jesus Christ. My salvation is completely wrapped up in him. My holiness, my my ability to stand in his presence is because of what Jesus has done for me not because of anything I have done for him. What I do for him is an offering. What he has done for me provides the pathway for me to go into the Lord's presence and make my offering. You understand the difference? And so as I read the scriptures now, I, I read them through a lens of understanding what it is to be forgiven, what it is to come into his presence, and to have prayer be something more than just something I do to ensure that I am forgiven. I pray. I pray not to be forgiven. I pray because I am forgiven. Do you get the difference between the two? Oh, it's just a simple rearranging of words, but it means so much in the English language. I don't pray to be forgiven. I pray because I am forgiven. I'm able to come into his presence and kneel down as a son and able to pour out my whole heart to him. Why? Because I've been adopted into the family. My sins have been paid for by his blood and I have been grafted in to his living room and I can sit down in his presence. And I have his ear. Oh, Jesus. Because of what Jesus did. Because of what Jesus did. Everything that I do, every act of obedience that I live out, I'm able to do because of what Jesus has done for me. Yeah. And my obedience is not to earn me anything. It's in response to what I've already been given. Hallelujah. And then one day, one day I stand before him. And some people say, well, aren't there rewards when we get to heaven? Sure, sure there are. Sure there are. You know, the Bible says some people will make it in. What is it Judy Jude? says by the skin of their teeth, basically, right? Just squeak in. You know, And why do they get in? And why does the person that served God faithfully their whole life still get in as well? Why do they both get in? They get in because of the work of Jesus Christ. Right? Now, the things that I do, right? The things that I do, the, 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 the uh, things that I invest, the things that I, I sow with my life, right? The Bible talks about crowns of righteousness and rewards and things that are there. Those things are, are there for us, but the most important thing my position before God, my ability to work for God, the fact that I get to go to heaven at all is all, everybody say all. All All the work of Jesus. 100%. 100%. You only had to do one thing. Receive it. That's it. Anytime you start believing any gospel that's different than that, it's not the gospel. Are you hearing me this morning? You're going down a a rabbit trail that is wrong. When I say to people, well, why should God let you into heaven? Well, because I've been a good person. Eh, wrong. If you're trusting in that, you are in a heap of trouble. Because the Bible says, no one, everybody say no one. no one. No one is good. There is none righteous. No, not one. Not one. Who can go to heaven because they're a good person? Nobody. Nobody. None. None. We only get to go because of what Jesus did for us. So it doesn't matter how bad you've been. And my, my ledger was pretty thick, you know. Uh, I had amassed in 17 years of living probably three or four lifetimes of ledger for maybe the average person. Uh, I, you know, there were a lot of things I was good at and most of them were not good, if you know what I'm saying. And... And then, I, and then Jesus, he, he, he stopped me and he halted me. And by his Holy Spirit, he grabbed a hold of me. And he brought me in and, and he forgave me. And he washed me and cleansed me. And my, my ledger was wiped clean. Whew. Clean. And when I stand before God and I come to him, guess what? My ledger is still clean. Well, are you saying you've never sinned since? Well, sure I have. But it, 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 whenever you sin now, it's, it's, it's not an indelible ink. When you sin now, you know, and you think that there's a record of it or whatever, no, it just, you could write it down and pfft, it disappears. Why? Because the blood has already been washed on the page. You see, you have to understand your sins and your past weren't just forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ, but your present and your future as well. It's all paid for by Jesus. And again, if you believe anything else, it's not the gospel. If you think you were saved in the past by grace, but going forward, it's dependent on how well you perform, uh, wrong. Not the gospel. It's dependent still on the work of Jesus Christ. See, I'm a pretty good guy now. I know. Some of you say, well, pastor, yeah, yeah, I have my days, but I'm a pretty good guy. You know why I'm a pretty good guy? I'm a pretty good guy because of what Jesus has already done in me. And, and my goodness isn't earning me my way to heaven. That's already been done. But because it's been done, I can be a pretty good guy. Right? I don't have to follow the instincts of my flesh. I can go after the Spirit. Why? Because of what He's done for me. And my going after the Spirit doesn't make me any better. No, I'm made better already because of what Jesus has done for me. Are we seeing a pattern here? That everything that I do, every righteous act that I commit is merely an offering to God that I've been empowered to do because of what Jesus has already done in me. And, and, and it, doesn't, it doesn't make me able to stand in his presence. No, I've already been made able to stand in his presence by what Jesus did for me. Hallelujah. And we've got to get that. Because otherwise, our life becomes a vicious cycle of, of earn-deserve. That Lord, I'm working hard. Look, see how hard I'm working, Lord. And then we 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 pat ourselves and we go, Oh, I did such a good job this week. I feel so good, but then all of a sudden you fall and you stumble, and and, and you're like, oh my word! And God will certainly hate me now, and then you get into the cycle, I gotta work it all up again. What a terrible, terrible cycle to be in. But when you realize it's all done by Jesus, when when you're you're a son, when you're a daughter then you can just say, God, thank you for what you've done for me. Thank you that I'm part of your family. I mean, how many of you here got to choose your parents? Anybody? No. We don't get to choose our parents. Right? They, through a process, you know, which we're not going to get into here this morning because there's some kids here today, but... but through a process, they chose you, so to speak. DNA here, DNA here, boom, they chose you, right? And are you hearing me this morning? You didn't choose your parents. And you know what? Redemptively, Jesus chose us. And I know this is so hard for people to grasp, and, and then we get into arguments of, you know, predestination and determinism, and you know what? Put all that stuff aside and just realize this, that the Bible says... Before the foundations of the earth were laid, he loved you and he chose you. And he adored you and he has a plan for you. And that he gave his son to die for you. And that it was in his heart to do so before you were even a twinkle in your father's eye. Hallelujah. Are you hearing me this morning? Oh, Jesus, hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. So what does that say? back to my point (laughs) that was 10 minutes of free I wasn't even in in my notes but there have been many arguments as I said about whether the Lord's prayer is meant to be recited or whether it's a model when I was raised Catholic it was a prayer meant to be recited today I see it as a model you can recite it there's no problem in that and if you're just beginning in your prayer life it's probably a good place to start but I've come to understand it as a model I think Jesus is giving us a model. We'll look at that model in the weeks to come. But I I think what he really wanted to give us was a a model of prayer. And and if you look at what Jesus said immediately following the Lord's Prayer, I think you get some understanding of why it's a model and not necessarily a a prayer to be recited. And he said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him? This is verse 5 of Luke chapter 11. Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And will he answer and say within, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are in bed with me. I cannot rise and give to you. And I say to you, Though he will not rise and give to him because he's his friend, yet because of his persistence he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Then on in verse 9. So I say to you, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks and receives, and he who seeks finds, and he who knocks, the door will be opened. If a son asked for bread from any father, from any father among you, would you give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, would you give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asked for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? You then, if being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that? Well, there's two things that I learned from Jesus' response in here that confirmed for me it was not a prayer meant to be recited, but it was a model. First of all, because he talks about persistence. He uses the illustration of coming over to someone's home and, and so you understand that prayer is not just about reciting something, it's about being persistent in his presence. It's about, you know, when, when Jacob was wrestling with God, said, I'm not gonna let you go when he wrestled with the angel of the Lord until what? Until you bless me. That there's, a, there's something about, about prayer that is about tenacity. It's about not just getting down and doing my, my morning prayers or devotions, but about hanging on to God and saying, God, I want to hear from you today. I want to be in your presence today. I want to know that, that I've heard from you. I want you to direct me to somebody today. I want, you, I want, to, I want God to just be your instrument today. That there's, there's some persistence in his presence there. And then secondly, it's because when Jesus said, just ask and, 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 and knock and seek, there's, there's something about prayer that, that can't be, you can't ask, seek, and knock in a formula or in, in a recited prayer. It needs to be something that comes out of your inner being and you're asking and you're seeking and you're knocking and you're coming to his presence and saying, Lord, I just want to be with you today. And there's something about that, that when when our kids come to us and they just, Dad, I want, I want a bike. Dad, I want this. Dad, I want that. Dad, I want that. You kind of turn it off. Right? So if that's all prayer ever is, is it's, easy, it's easy to just you know, get ignored. Because you're just going from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. But when you say, when your kid comes, you say, Dad, can I just hang out with you today? And then they spend three hours with you just hanging off of every word. And then somewhere in that conversation, they say, you know, Dad, what I'd really like is a bike. Bingo! Next thing you know, they got a bike right guess why cuz because they were in your presence they were they were they were they were invested in you and and you got and, and you just felt so close and then when they made that request it came from a place of communication and intimacy and 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 and, and connection and you said yeah you know saw a t-shirt this week and it said you can't tell me what to do that's my granddaughter's job <laughs> And I thought, man, i gotta, I got to order that T-shirt. I'll probably be wearing that here in a few weeks. But, but the point of that T-shirt, I think, is real simple. Why does my granddaughter or my granddaughters get what they want? Because they want Papa. It's not the thing. The thing is secondary. They love coming over to Papa Nina's house and just and a time with them. We did a sleepover with the three oldest girls uh, just, a, 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 what was a week ago or so, and man, we had a blast, and the whole time they just wanted to be with us. See, now we're starting to get some understanding of prayer. Why it can't be just a, something you recite every day, although like I said, it's a good place to start. It's, it's in the Bible, but I really think Jesus was trying to set for us a model, and we'll break that maybe down in the next few weeks, but we need to understand that it's about being in His presence. It's about coming before the Lord. It's about recognizing that when I'm in His presence and when I am communing with Him and when I am close to Him, that in that place, in that space, I have His heart, I have His ear. And if we know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will our Heavenly Father respond when we've got His ear? All right, let me conclude with this. Kind of used to bother me that if the Lord knows what I have need of even before I ask, why do I have to ask? Right? Why do I have to ask? Why do I have to ask? Hmm. Well, I've come to understand that prayer becomes less about me having to tell him what I need and more about me coming to him in the right posture, so that a first thing I'm able to do is examine what I think is my need and make sure it really is a need, and two, be able to recognize that my communion, my time with him, is more important than my need, and then three, when I do, when my heart is still that stirred about the need, I can ask him and I can be confident that he's going to answer. You get that this morning? I've been reading a book that Nikki gave me and. Uh, and it's a book on prayer, the power of prayer, and the prayer of power, it's called, by R.A. Torrey. And uh, R.A. Tori is a guy who followed D.L. Moody, the pastor, the church that Moody started in, in Chicago. And so, uh, great man of prayer. And, and he's, I'm going to read you a quote from him this morning. I'm actually going to read two in closing, but I want you to listen to this first one. And uh, he said this, he said, We do not live in a praying age. Now, he wrote this, Was it 1918, 1920, somewhere in that neighborhood? He said, we do not live in a praying age. We live in an age of hustle and bustle, of man's efforts and man's determination, of man's confidence in himself and in his own power to achieve things. An age of human organization, human machinery, human scheming, and human achievement. In the things of God, this means no real achievement at all. I think it would be perfectly safe to say that the Church of Christ was never in all of its history so fully and so skillfully, so thoroughly and so perfectly organized as it is today. Our machinery is wonderful. It's just perfect. Unfortunately, it's a machinery without power. And when things do not go right, instead of going to the real source for, of our, our failure, which is our neglect to depend upon God and to look to God for power, we look around to see if there is not some new organization we can set up, some new wheel that we can add to our machinery. We have altogether too many wheels already. What we need is not so much some new organization, some new wheel, but the spirit of the living creature in the wheels whom we already possess. See, that's the thing, we already possess them. I remember one, one pastor telling me, he said, you know, God spends all the time before we're saved, all that effort trying to get in, and then once we're saved, he spends the rest of his effort trying to get back out. Because so many Christians get them, bottle them up, it's their prize, and they don't share it with anybody. We can do much more in prayer than we ever, ever imagined. As we learn to pray as a people, as we learn to come into his presence, as we learn that, that being with him is more important even than what we have to communicate to him about, and we begin to desire and to long for him the same way as I shared last week, that kid longed for the breath after his head was held under the water. When we begin to long for God that way, I believe that God can do mighty things. So again, in closing, listen to what I, I read this, uh, I guess a couple weeks ago, at Ari Torrey said this. He said, prayer is the key that unlocks all the storehouses of God's infinite grace and power. All that God is and all that God has is at the disposal of prayer. But we must use the key. Prayer can do anything that God can do. And since God can do anything, prayer is omnipotent. Wow, I like that. Prayer is omnipotent. Why has the church, generally speaking, not speaking any condemnation over any individual or any individual group, but why has it become so powerless and so ignored in our culture today? Because it's a prayerless church. It's an empty church. We need the power of God. We need to be people of prayer. Amen? Let's stand together this morning as we close. Praise the Lord. Over the next few weeks, we want to get real practical with you just about helping you develop uh, prayer in your life. And, and it doesn't matter where you're at in the state on the, on the journey, right, or on the spectrum of, of comfortableness with prayer and understanding prayer. We want to help you get to where God wants you to be, to where you, you have had times in his presence where it's just like you feel like you're right back in the garden like Adam and Eve, where God's just talking to you as another person sitting right beside you. We want you to experience breakthrough in prayer. We want you to experience answer to prayer. And we're going to talk about all those things in the next few weeks. But it all starts with desire. We have to have a desire to connect with God, our Creator, our Savior, and our Redeemer. We have a desire to connect with Him that supersedes our desire for all of the other stuff, all the other distractions. And it's hard because we have a lot of distractions. And a lot of our distractions add lots of comfort, lots of ease to our life. But we need to look past those and to look to Jesus and to crave and desire that more than anything else. Desire Him more than anything else. So again today, just put your hands out like this to the Lord. And just repeat after me this morning. Father, Father here, I am. here I am. Teach me to pray. Teach me to pray. Father, Father build, in me build in me a longing, a longing. for your presence that as the, deer, as the deer pants for the water, for the water. So, my soul, so my soul longs for thee. Father, today, Father, today I, commit I commit to the journey, to the journey of, becoming of becoming a man or a woman a of prayer. Father, I ask that God today in this place you'd hear that declaration and Lord, you would meet us in that in the secret place of God. And Father, there that, Lord, you would begin to school us in our relationship with you. Teach us, Lord, uh, Father, what it is to be close to you, to be part, partners with you, to literally, Father, shape the world according to your will, to literally, as the scripture prayer, uh, says and Jesus declared in the Lord's prayer, Father, to literally uh, have it so that on earth it's the same as it is in heaven. Father, to transform your will, your plan, your purposes, your passion to this realm in Jesus' name. Father, help us and guide us and direct us, we pray. And Lord, we're so grateful for all that you have done and are doing in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Lord bless you. We look forward to next Sunday, amen. Don't forget, next Saturday at six o'clock, we'll be gathering for one hour to pray for this next Sunday service, Saturday at six o'clock, God bless you.